Harper Audio presents Anne Frank, Diary of a Young Girl, performed by Claire Bloom. The simple, sincere words of a young Jewish girl in hiding from the Nazis in war-ravaged Amsterdam in the 1940s. Saturday, the 20th of June. I haven't written for a few days because I wanted, first of all, to think about my diary. It's an odd idea for someone like me to keep a diary. Not only because I've never done so before, but because it seems to me that neither I, nor for that matter anyone else, will be interested in the unbosomings of a 13-year-old schoolgirl. Still, what does that matter? I want to write. But more than that, I want to bring out all kinds of things that lie buried deep in my heart. There is a saying that paper is more patient than man. It came back to me on one of my slightly melancholy days, while I sat chin in hand, feeling too bored and limp even to make up my mind whether to go out or stay at home. Yes, there is no doubt that paper is patient, and as I don't intend to show this cardboard-covered notebook bearing the proud name of diary to anyone, unless I find a real friend, boy or girl, probably nobody cares. And now I come to the root of the matter, the reason for my starting a diary. It is that I have no such real friend. Well, let me put it more clearly, since no one will believe that a girl of 13 feels herself quite alone in the world, nor is it so. I have darling parents and a sister of 16. I know about 30 people whom one might call friends. I have strings of boyfriends anxious to catch a glimpse of me and who, failing that, peep at me through mirrors in class. I have relations, aunts and uncles, who are darlings too. A good home... No, I don't seem to lack anything, but it's the same with all my friends, just fun and joking, nothing more. I can never bring myself to talk of anything outside the common round. We don't seem to be able to get any closer. That is the root of the trouble. Well, perhaps I lack confidence, but anyway, there it is, a stubborn fact, and I don't seem to be able to do anything about it. Hence, this diary. In order to enhance in my mind's eye the picture of the friend for whom I've waited so long... I don't want to set down a series of bald facts in a diary like most people do, but I want this diary itself to be my friend. And I shall call my friend Kitty. No one will grasp what I'm talking about if I begin my letters to Kitty, just out of the blue. Thursday, the 9th of July. Dear Kitty, So we walked in the pouring rain, Daddy, Mummy, and I, each with a school satchel and shopping bag filled to the brim with all kinds of things thrown together anyhow. We got sympathetic looks from people on their way to work. You could see by their faces how sorry they were they couldn't offer us a lift. The gaudy yellow star spoke for itself. Only when we got on the road did Mummy and Daddy begin to tell me bits and pieces about the plan. For months, as many of our goods and chattels and necessities of life as possible had been sent away, and they were sufficiently ready for us to have gone into hiding of our own accord on July 16th. The plan had had to be speeded up ten days because of the call-up, so our quarters would not be so well organized, but we had to make the best of it. The hiding place itself would be in the building where Daddy had his office. It'll be hard for outsiders to understand, but I shall explain that later on. Daddy didn't have many people working for him. Mr. Kraler, Kupius, Meep, and Ellie Vossen, a 23-year-old typist who all knew of our arrival... Mr. Vossen, Ellie's father, and two boys worked in the warehouse. They had not been told. Yours, Anne. Saturday, the 11th of July. Dear Kitty, 
Daddy, Mummy, and Margot can't get used to the sound of the Vestatoran clock yet, which tells us the time every quarter of an hour. I can. I loved it from the start, and especially in the night. It's like a faithful friend. I expect you'll be interested to hear what it feels like to disappear. Well, all I can say is that I don't know myself yet. I don't think I shall ever feel really at home in this house. But that doesn't mean that I loathe it here. It's more like being on vacation in a very peculiar boarding house. Rather a mad idea, perhaps. That's how it strikes me. We've forbidden Margot to cough at night, although she has a bad cold, and make her swallow large doses of codeine. I'm looking for Tuesday when the Vandans arrive. It'll be much more fun and not so quiet. It's the silence that frightens me so in the evenings and at night. I wish like anything that one of our protectors could sleep here at night. I can't tell you how oppressive it is never to be able to go outdoors. Also, I'm very afraid that we shall be discovered and shot. Not exactly a pleasant prospect. We have to whisper and tread lightly during the day, otherwise the people in the warehouse might hear us. Someone is calling me. Yours, Anne. Friday, the 14th of August. Dear Kitty, I've deserted you for a whole month, but honestly, there's so little news that I can't find amusing things to tell you every day. The Fandans arrived on July 13th. We thought they were coming on the 14th, but between the 13th and 16th of July, the Germans called up people right and left, which created more and more unrest, so they played for safety. Better a day too early than a day too late. At 9.30 in the morning, we were still having breakfast. Peter arrived, the Van Dunn's son, not 16 yet. Rather soft, shy, gawky youth. Can't expect much from his company. He brought his cat, Mushi, with him. Yours, Anne. Friday, 21st of August. Dear Kitty, the entrance to our hiding place has now been properly concealed. Mr. Crowler thought it would be better to put a cupboard in front of our door, because a lot of houses are being searched for hidden bicycles. But, of course, it had to be a movable cupboard that can open like a door. I still don't like Peter anymore. He's so boring. He flops lazily on his bed half the time, does a bit of carpentry, and then goes back for another snooze. What a fool. It's lovely weather, and in spite of everything, we make the most we can of it by lying on a camp bed in the attic where the sun shines through an open window. Yours, Anne. Thursday, the 6th of January, 1944. Dear Kitty, my longing to talk to someone became so intense that somehow or other I took it into my head to choose Peter. Sometimes, if I'd been upstairs into Peter's room during the day, it always struck me as very snug, but because Peter is so retiring and would never turn anyone out who became a nuisance, I never dared stay long because I was afraid he might think me a bore. I tried to think of an excuse to stay in his room and get him talking without it being too noticeable, and my chance came yesterday. Peter has a mania for crossword puzzles at the moment and hardly does anything else. I helped him with them, and we soon sat opposite each other at his little table, he on the chair and me on the divan. It gave me a queer feeling each time I looked into his deep blue eyes, and he sat there with that mysterious laugh playing round his lips. I was able to read his inward thoughts. I could see on his face that look of helplessness and uncertainty as how to behave, and at the same time a trace of his sense of manhood, I noticed his shy manner, and it made me feel very gentle. I couldn't refrain from meeting those dark eyes again and again. With my whole heart, I almost beseeched him, Oh, tell me what is going on inside you. Oh, can't you look beyond this ridiculous chatter? But the evening passed, and nothing happened, except that I told him about blushing, 
Naturally, not what I've written, but just so he'd become more sure of himself as he grew older. When I lay in bed and thought over the whole situation, I found it far from encouraging. And the idea that I should beg for Peter's patronage was simply repellent. One can do a lot to satisfy one's longings, which certainly sticks out in my case, for I've made up my mind to go and sit with Peter more often and to get him talking somehow or other. Whatever you do, don't think I'm in love with Peter, not a bit of it. If the Van Dans had had a daughter instead of a son, I should have tried to make friends with her, too. Yours, Anne. Harper Collins is the copyright owner of this recording. Harper Collins has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright law to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of Harper Collins Publishers, Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio has been provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and Associates. Network connectivity provided by UUNet Technologies and by MFS DataNet. Harper Audio presents Anne Frank, Diary of a Young Girl, performed by Claire Bloom. The simple, sincere words of a young Jewish girl in hiding from the Nazis in war-ravaged Amsterdam in the 1940s. Friday, 18th of February. Dear Kitty, Whenever I go upstairs now, I keep on hoping that I shall see him... Because my life now has an object and I have something to look forward to, everything has become more pleasant. At least the object of my feelings is always there and I needn't be afraid of rivals except Margot. I don't think I'm in love because I'm not, but I do have the feeling all the time that something fine can grow up between us, something that gives confidence and friendship. If I get half a chance, I go up to him now. Not like it used to be when he didn't know how to begin. Just the opposite. He's still talking when I'm half out of the room. Mummy doesn't like it much and always says I'll be a nuisance and I must leave him in peace. Honestly, doesn't she realize that I've got some intuition? She looks at me so queerly every time I go into Peter's little room. If I come downstairs from there, she asks me where I've been. I simply can't bear it and think it's horrible. Yours, Anne. Sunday, the 19th of March, 1944. Dear Kitty, yesterday was a great day for me. I decided to talk things out with Peter. Just as we were going to sit down to supper, I whispered to him, Are you going to do shorthand this evening, Peter? No, was his reply. Then I'd just like to talk to you later, he agreed. After the dishes were done, I stood by the window in his parents' room a while for the look of things, but it wasn't long before I went to Peter. He was standing on the left side of the open window. I went and stood on the right side. We talked. It was much easier to talk beside the open window in the semi-darkness than in the bright light. I believe Peter felt the same. We told each other so much, so very, very much. I can't repeat it all. It was lovely. The most wonderful evening I've ever had in the secret annex. Well, I'll just tell you briefly the various things we talked about. First we talked about the quarrels and how I regard them quite differently now, and then about the estrangement between us and our parents. 
I told Peter about Mummy and Daddy and Margot and about myself. At one moment he asked, I suppose you always give each other a goodnight kiss, don't you? One? Dozens? Why, don't you? No, no, I've hardly ever kissed anyone. Not even on your birthday. Yes, yes, I have then. We talked about how we neither of us confide in our parents and how his parents would have loved to have his confidence but that he doesn't wish it. How I cry my heart out in bed and he goes up into the loft and swears. How Margot and I really only know each other well for a little while but that even so we don't tell each other everything because we're always together over every imaginable thing. Oh, he was just as I thought. Then we talked about 1942, how different we were then. We just don't recognize ourselves as the same people anymore. How we simply couldn't bear each other in the beginning. He thought I was much too talkative and unruly, and I soon came to the conclusion that I'd no time for him. I couldn't understand why he didn't flirt with me, but I'm glad now. He also mentioned how much he isolated himself from us all. I said there was not much difference between my noise and his silence, that I love peace and quiet too and have nothing for myself alone except my diary. How glad he is that my parents have children here and that I'm glad he is here, that I understand his reserve now and his relationship with his parents and how I would love to be able to help him. You always do help me, he said. How, I asked, very surprised. By your cheerfulness. That was certainly the loveliest thing he said. It was wonderful. He must have grown to love me as a friend, and that's enough for the time being. I'm so grateful and happy I just can't find the words. I must apologize, Kitty, that my style is not up to standard today. I've just written down what came into my head. I have the feeling now that Peter and I share a secret. If he looks at me with those eyes that laugh and wink, and it's just as if a little light goes on inside me. Oh, I hope it will remain like this and that we may have many, many, many more glorious times together. You're grateful, happy, Anne. Friday, the 31st of March. Dear Kitty, think of it, it's still pretty cold, but most people have been without cold for about a month. Pleasant, eh? In general, public feeling over the Russian front is optimistic again because that is terrific. You know I don't write much about politics, but I must tell you where they are now. They're right by the Polish border and have reached the Prut near Romania. They're close to Odessa. Every evening here they expect an extra communique from Stalin. They fire off so many salvos in Moscow to celebrate their victories that the city must rumble and shake just about every day. Whether they think it's fun to pretend that the war is close at hand again or that they don't know of any other way of expressing their joy, I don't know. Hungary is occupied by German troops. There are still a million Jews there, so they too will have it now. Tuesday, the 11th of April. Dear Kitty, we have been pointedly reminded that we are in hiding, that we are Jews in chains, chained to one spot without any rights but with a thousand duties. We Jews mustn't show our feelings, must be brave and strong, must accept all inconveniences and not grumble, must do what is within our power and trust in God. Oh, sometime this terrible war will be over. Surely the time will come when we're people again, not just Jews. Well, who's inflicted this upon us? Who has made us Jews different from all other people? Who has allowed us to suffer so terribly up till now? It's God that's made us as we are. But it'll be God, too, who will raise us up again. If we bear all this suffering, and if there are still Jews left when it is over, then Jews, instead of being doomed, will be held up as an example. 
Who knows, it might even be our religion from which the world and all peoples learn good, and for that reason, and that reason only, do we have to suffer now. We can never become just Nederlanders or just English or representatives of any country for that matter. We will always remain Jews, but we want to, too. Be brave. Let us remain aware of our task and not grumble. A solution will come. God has never deserted our people. Right through the ages there have been Jews, through all the ages they've had to suffer, but it has made them strong, too. The weak fall, but the strong will remain and never go under. Wednesday, the 3rd of May. Dear Kitty, as you can easily imagine, we often ask ourselves here despairingly, what? Oh, what is the use of the war? Why can't people live peacefully together? Why all this destruction? The question is very understandable, but no one has found a satisfactory answer to it so far. Yes, why do they make still more gigantic planes, still heavier bombs, and at the same time prefabricated houses for reconstruction? Why should millions be spent daily on the war, and yet there's not a penny available for medical services, artists, or for poor people? Why do some people have to starve while their surplus is rotting in other parts of the world? Why are people so crazy? I don't believe that big men, the politicians and the capitalists alone, are guilty of the war. Oh, no, the little man is just as guilty. Otherwise, the people of the world would have risen in revolt long ago. There's in people simply an urge to destroy, an urge to kill, to murder and rage. And until all mankind, without exception, undergoes a great change, wars will be waged, everything that has been built up, cultivated and grown will be destroyed and disfigured after which mankind will have to begin all over again. I've often been downcast, but never in despair. I regard our hiding as a dangerous adventure, romantic and interesting at the same time. In my diary, I treat all the privations as amusing. I've made up my mind now to lead a different life from other girls, and later on different from ordinary housewives. My start has been so very full of interest. And that is the sole reason why I have to laugh at the humorous side of the most dangerous moments. I'm young, and I possess many buried qualities. HarperCollins is the copyright owner of this recording. HarperCollins has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright law to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of HarperCollins Publishers, Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214. Or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio has been provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and Associates. Network connectivity provided by UUNet Technologies and by MFS DataNet.